Jimmy, I tried to catch you before you left. <laughs> hey, buddy, I was wrong. That rally in Mexico? That was yesterday. Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. And today we are finishing out our mini-cycle of the Juanita Bartlett x William Ward collab episodes. Mm-hmm. With season four, episode thirteen, a deadly maze. Oh, yeah, that's got a good title. I dig that title. It does have a good title. Yeah, this one, uh, this one. Uh, uh, if you've listened to our previous couple episodes, this one is you know just we're just c- connecting the dots uh, on uh, our yeah. <laughs> our series here, where we're uh, we where we're exploring the rest of the Wardiverse um, and finishing out William Ward's contributions uh, prolific contributions to the rockford files yeah he had directed something like 25 something like that episodes we should probably have that number in mind by now but uh <laughs> i remember last time because we're, we're we have like 25 episodes left <laughs> and it was about that yeah 26 episodes yeah mm-hmm. which means he directed what like a fifth of the episodes it feels like it yeah something like that you're you you have you have calculators you can figure it out um, and by you, I mean Epi specifically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everyone should have a cal- everyone should have a favorite calculator. They should have more than one calculator, but one that they. Anyways, some of these episodes get double uh, counted here, but I'm I'm looking at uh, all episodes of the Rockford Files. Oh God, they used to. I think it's like 127 or something like that. Yeah, is the, the way that is counted because some of yeah. them are two for syndication and one of them are one. Yeah. But, oh, 119 is what the little gray number says if you go to the Rockford Files um, oh. IMDb page. It's in tiny text next to the words episode guide. 22%, roughly. Yeah. Not counting movies. He didn't do any of the movies. Though, no, he, no, no, he did not do any of the movies. I think he died before the movies. Um, I think we talked oh, about that last right. time. He yeah, actually, yeah. I think he, he, he passed away in the late 80s, I think. Um. Yeah, so as previously stipulated, not a whole lot to uh new to say about uh William Ward. Um and for this particular episode, didn't really have any particular background that came up when I was looking around for um, you know, for this particular uh uh script. There's one trivia I had hoped existed, and that is some reason for the nose. Oh, there well, there is. Okay. I mean there is in the in the fiction. But mm. I, I was wondering if that was to cover up a real life thing or if that was just a quirk that they threw in the the, the narrative. No, that is for a real life thing. I think there's a this is uh, this is actually just from the IMDb trivia. Um, mm. But apparently uh, Joe Santos had a nasal procedure that he had undergone and the bandages could not be removed for shooting. So, OK, they wrote it into the script. Oh, it's, it's a good write in. It is. We'll get to it when we get to it, but it's good. I kept expecting it to be bigger than what it was, mm-hmm. but when it wasn't, I was like, "Oh, okay. <laughs> this is probably something real that they're working into the story somehow." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we see that right in the um, right in the preview montage. So I think we should probably just get right into it. Jump right into it. Yeah, I do have one. Uh, it's not really a content warning; it's more an observation. This is a very non-vegan episode. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that is that is true. That is very true. Along multiple dimensions, 
So, uh, yeah, opening montage, we, we get um, a great one-two punch with Would You Rather See Your Wife Dead? And then, like, a cut to a blood-curdling scream. That's great. We see Dennis with his nose all bandaged up. Mm-hmm. And as I just noted, like, I will spend the whole episode wondering what happened <laughs> until they start explaining it. I, I'm really appreciating the lines that they choose to put in the opening montage that create tension for the for as you watch the episode, right? Mm-hmm. Like they can show you something that's going to happen, and you're like, "Yeah, that's exciting! I can't wait to see that happen." But there's this line here where he's like, "If that lab report comes back and says that there's human blood on that apron, mm-hmm. I go to the cops." And that one, that's just a line you like you you hear it walking by someone, and you're like. I need to stay away from that person, but also I absolutely need to know what's going on. Yeah. And we get some threatening goons. Good threatening goons. Yeah. Yeah. That particular line is good because there's such a clear presentation of like the bloody apron as we will get to that. Like you'd be wondering, you're supposed to wonder that anyway, but because it's in the preview montage, it's like, Oh, this is really important. Yeah. Um, I will say there is something missing from the preview montage mm-hmm. that ends up being missing from the episode. And there's a point in the episode where I realize I'm, I'm making too much of this already. I realized that it was missing from the uh, preview montage. And then I got a little like, Oh, uh, and that is, there's no car chase mm-hmm. in the preview montage. And I, I will point out the point in the episode where that happens, <laughs> where, where there is no car chase. And, and I was, I was, a little sad. Yeah, I think I know where that spot is, but we'll find yeah. out. Uh, as we say, we'll get to it when we get to it. Yeah. 200 a Day is a 100% listener-supported show, thanks to our patrons. In addition to our gratitude and editing access to our 200 Files Files spreadsheet, patrons receive exclusive episode previews and plus expenses. Our bonus Just Chatting podcast about media, work, and life. We expend special thanks to our Gumshoe patrons supporting this episode. Brian Burnson has a Facebook page where he drives his Rockford tribute car to shooting locations from the show. Check out facebook.com slash Brian Rockford Files. Join Mitch Hampton to examine all matters aesthetic at the Journey of an Aesthete podcast. And Paul Townend recommends the podcast Fruit Loops, Serial Killers of Color. You can find these shows wherever you get your podcasts. Dale Norwood wrote a book. It's about fast ships, cheap drugs, and American political economy, published by the University of Chicago Press. Find Trading Freedom, How Trade with China Defined Early America, wherever good books are sold. Chuck from whatyourreading.com. Shane Liebling has all of your online dice rolling needs sorted at his site rollforyear.party. And check out Jay Adon's amazing miniature painting skills at jayadon.com. In addition, thanks to Andre Apignani, Tom Clancy, Pumpkin Jabba Peach Bug, Dave P., Dave Otterson, Kip Holly, Dale Church, and Colleen Kelly. And finally, special appreciation for our detective-level patrons. Joe Greathead, Michael Zalisco, Eric Antenor at Antenor on Twitter, Brian Pereira at Thermoware, Jordan Bockelman, not Brockelman, at Jordan Bockelman, Bill Anderson at BillAnd88, and of course, Richard Haddam at Richard Haddam. If you're interested in keeping us going for as little as $1 an episode, check out patreon.com slash 200 today to see if becoming a patron is right for you. Before getting into this episode, my question for you is how how well did you remember this one? I couldn't remember exactly what was happening, mm-hmm. but I had enough memories from this one that I literally checked our website to make sure <laughs> we hadn't done it. Uh-huh. Because I thought, oh, it's possible that we did it. I would be very surprised if we went this entire 
endeavor without accidentally doing an episode we already did. I mean, we're pretty good I mean, at like I, yeah, I do check. keeping track, but like <laughs> at like, some point, at some point, something slipped through the cracks, whatever. But but I I I think I had inklings about what was going on underneath uh, earlier than I would have if I had just seen it straight. I think my I just asked because I think in kind of thinking about it as we're getting set up, um, the fact that I remembered. It's fun that we're dancing around it as if it's a spoiler. I know, right? Well, but that's the <laughs> thing, right? This episode is constructed around a reveal. Yes. And I think it does a good job of telegraphing, hey, there's something else going on here. Yeah. Like, it's not like it's a total mystery. Like, oh, like, it's it's not a big surprise that comes out of nowhere. Like, it is kind of right. foreshadowed. Yeah. But the nature of the reveal is very strong. Yeah. And the fact that I remember, kind of remembered what it was does mean that through the first half of the episode, I was kind of just waiting I was kind of waiting for it to get to the good part, even though the first part is good. Yeah, yeah. No, I know what you're saying. Like when if you're watching this one fresh, I think you I think it's mm, what am I trying to say? Pause here? now. Watch the episode. <laughs> Enjoy the reveal. Yeah, I think this one benefits from going in. Not I mean, we already told you there's a reveal, but that's also, again, telegraphed. But like, yeah, yeah, I think this one is more fun to watch cold. Yeah. And then I think you're probably right when you watch it the second time. There's a little bit of like, come on, let's get through the motions <laughs> in the first maybe 15, 20 minutes of the episode. Uh, just, just the fact that I had that, I thought it was well, it was notable that I had that takeaway of like, oh, this one actually is like less fun to watch the second time. Let's dig into this for a minute here. I gotta, I gotta adjust my seating arrangement because we're going to dig in. Yeah, he's getting his thinking pose, folks. Yeah, I get my thinking pose on. So, did you remember what the reveal was going to be? Yes. Like, yeah, yeah. right off the bat? Okay. Yeah. There was one nuance to it that I didn't really remember. Yeah. And so, when it went one way and I kind of thought it was going a different way, that's when I was like, oh, I don't remember that part. And ah. I was, like, intrigued again. Yeah. So, because um, I think that there is some stuff, how they play towards the reveal mm. is of interest. So, if you already know the reveal. Yeah, there's some craft in how it's. Yeah. Foreshadowed. But it's not like a mystery where like you could deduct what's gonna happen based on the information you're given right, as right. an audience member. Like it's not that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh but in particular this opening scene, which we'll get to in a moment here, I think has some uh a neat little Yes. Well, as you say, we should go ahead and talk about this opening scene. Um, which is just starting off with our opening credits uh over the Firebird arriving at a kind of creepy house at night. Um, I did note the one particular name of Johnny Seven, because that is a good name. Yes. I... And, and so I, I was like, so I immediately looked up. I was like, who's that? And he's a character actor who's been in a million things. Yeah. But I was like, okay, let's see which of these characters is Johnny Seven. And I got to right. say, does not disappoint. <laughs> I, I saw that name, too, and I thought of um, uh, Short Circuit. Uh, Johnny Five is the name of the robot mm. in that film. And I thought, oh, it's a sibling or whatever. But yeah, no, Johnny Seven is. It's a good, it's it's a wrestling name. Yeah, yeah. I twigged onto that immediately. Anyway, that we'll see him later. Uh, I I love how this, I well, I guess it's just after the Firebird arrives, but I love how this is all lit. Yeah, this is a horror movie vibe. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's horror movie, like very um, Exorcist. Is It was the, the, uh, implications i got and that'll be important in a moment 
And this is also telegraphed by Jim looking uncomfortable as yes. he references an address he's written down, finds the house, rings the bell. There's no answer, but the door's open and he walks in. Uh, there's no lights. There's sheets over the furniture. And he calls a name a couple times looking for a Mr. Albach. And I think I'm expecting, you know, something to yeah. happen or whatever. Get waylaid or yeah. But it is simply that uh, there's a light on in the basement and there's a call uh, to to come join me down here. And so we get a uh, horror movie-esque mm -hmm. descent of Jim down into a creepy <laughs> basement where we see a man in a formal suit. Not formal, like, like a wedding, but like a professional. Business, yeah, yeah. Business suit. Um doing something to a water heater that's just sitting alone in the center <laughs> of an entirely empty basement. That juxtaposition of the suit and the creepy basement yeah. makes that immediate image be like, okay, there's something like what is going on? What what is happening here? So this is Mr. Albach. So he is played by Larry Linville, who who was a MASH guy. Yeah. He was Major Burns. Major Burns, yeah. Hold right, well, on, let me just make sure yeah. Major Frank, I never remember which of the two because he he's the first of the foils um, in Mash. Yeah, I I haven't watched enough Mash to have any association with him. Um, so I was like, oh, people would know who this is. But yeah, I, you know, he's a good actor if you want someone that the audience is not going to like. Uh huh. <laughs> Uh, which I, really sounds like a back, backhanded compliment, and I don't mean it like that at all. Like, he just does these... Yeah, no, he's a good heel. Yeah, he's a good heel. He's a good heel. I should have just said that. I should have <laughs> said he's a good heel. I will say that he's a heel, but it, Burns is like a, a bumbling, overwrought heel, mm -hmm. where this guy is, like, cold and just distant and, and you know, unemotional. I mean, he is... Mm. And this is a plot point that comes up immediately. He is unlikable. He is yeah. a person that you immediately go like, oh, I don't like this guy. So he's extremely dry also, right? Yes. Very yeah. unemotive. Doesn't really change his facial expression very much. And so he, you know, so it's a great, it's a great foil for Jim, who is so yeah. emotive. Do you always hold business meetings in your basement? Does it bother you? Well, yes. Would you like to go somewhere else? Uh, I guess not, since we're already here. Well, this is one of my properties. Someone told me there was some sort of leak here. I don't see anything. On the phone, you quoted your prices $200 a day plus expenses. That's acceptable. And there's a good humorous bit where he just turns on a light bulb that's hanging over him. <laughs> and is like, is that better? <laughs> <laughs> like one single light bulb. Again, the lighting is really great because it's like yeah. it just adds just this tiny little pool of illumination. Yeah, that's... It's good. It's good. It is very good. So he wants Jim to find his wife. His wife has disappeared. Mm -hmm. And there's a good line. Uh, Buy a couple of light bulbs and call the police. That will solve both your problems. <laughs> Jim is our surrogate here where he uh, eventually says, You don't seem very upset. Well, I am. Very. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm not a demonstrative man. I don't show my emotions. Um, he doesn't want to go to the police. So his wife, her name is Tracy. Um... She has emotional problems and a pathological fear of the police and similar authority figures. So that's why he doesn't want to go to the cops to find her. Jim says he, he he's turning down the job. He doesn't do missing persons. Mm -hmm. Albach 
escalates to 250 a day. Yeah, this is a a pattern we will... This is the start of a pattern. Right. Albeck says that he noticed a car in the neighborhood a week ago, and he thought maybe it was, like, casing places for robbery or something. So he took the license plate just in case. And then the car disappeared the same day that Tracy did. So he tells Jim, all you have to do is run this plate, go to the address, and see if Tracy's there, which seems very... This feels like a setup. Right. I know it's a setup. Yeah. But this also, the when he breaks down, like, just do these things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at this point, I don't remember enough of the show to remember exactly what's happening. And I, because of the lighting, I first expected Jim to come across a body in the basement uh-huh, and be yeah. framed for that. And then I was like, oh, he's being sent somewhere to be framed for. I keep expecting Jim to be framed. Right. Is what, what I'm, like, my going theory uh, you know, it's a it's a usual thing you do with a PI. Yeah. So Jim keeps turning down the job and then he but how he gets to the, the classic Rockford two step here. But how yeah. uh, Albach gets to him is he says uh, he asks if he's never done missing persons before. And he's mm-hmm. like, well, I mean, I guess I have technically. Yeah. He's like, let me guess someone, a friend or someone who's young and vulnerable. I know that I'm not a likable man, but is that <laughs> the only reason that you're turning me down? Here's a picture. He gives him a picture of them at their wedding in 1968. Yes. You know, Tracy is young. She's she's vulnerable. She needs help. Mm-hmm. Right. And so Jim, you know, is looking at this picture of this, you know, young, pretty woman. <sighs> okay, you got me. <laughs> yeah. I like th- this exchange. He specifically says something like, I'm not a likable man. Is that your basis for refusing me? Right, Jim right. says no. And he's like, be honest with yourself, Mr. Rockford. And I do like that that's part of Jim's decision to go with it. Like, mm-hmm. he's like, oh, am I a bad person for turning this guy down? And I like that. It just has a nice. Yeah. Um, I think it rings true with our knowledge of Jim, right? Yeah, like, we yeah. know that he's more of a, I mean, maybe sucker is the wrong word, but he is more apt to leap to the defense of. Yeah a woman or a young person who seems to be in trouble rather than like a rich old guy. Right. We have a a match cut here where Jim is looking at the photo in his trailer while talking to Dennis on the phone, uh, (laughs) trying to get him to run down the plate with a little, little bit of a lie here where he says that this, this car sideswiped his car and he's, and then, you know, hightailed it out of there and he just wants to track this guy down to get some, get some, some restitution. We see Dennis with the giant bandage all over his nose. <laughs> I'm uh, so excited to find out why. That, <laughs> that is where I am right now in this episode. There's a bit of banter here where Jim finally is like, look, you already ran down the plate, so just tell me who it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so he gives Jim the name, Max Savachi. But if it's a hit and run, you have to report it, Jim. <laughs> you know me, Dennis. I always go by the book. By now, Rocky has arrived, uh, and Jim has forgotten that he had plans. He was going to go with Rocky (laughs) to go out on Fannin's new boat. Rocky has a bottle of champagne in his truck just waiting for the, you know, waiting for the occasion. For the christening, I'm guessing. I would assume so. Yeah. I I like Rocky here. He's like, you're not going to wear that about what Jim's wearing. But when you look at what Rocky's wearing, (laughs) look. He's just wearing like a jacket and a hat. Like a yeah. jacket, like buttoned all the way up over whatever <laughs> shirt he's wearing. It's a very, uh, very, very rocky thing to be like. We should dress up for this, mm-hmm. and then just dress up like he's. Well, those are his dress boatin boatin clothes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rocky asks him why why he took this job anyway. 
It's a one-day job and it's 250 bucks. I'm going to be eating the balloon payments on this trailer this month. <laughs> this episode has a great baseline Rockfordishness. Yeah. Quotient. If you're just going to pick this one out of a lineup, uh, I don't. It, it has a lot of this stuff. And right. one of one of the things is you know about Jim's cash flow, and then Rocky just says, uh, "You'll just end up refinancing like you always do." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Jim insists it's a one day gig, and they'll take the boat out again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if he needs an extra hand, he'll have it tomorrow. Jim goes to the address. Sure enough, the car with the requisite license plate is sitting outside. Um, he rings the bell. Uh, there's some. There's a beat. And then he hears some some gasps and kind of quiet yells and a woman mm-hmm. yelling no. Yes. So he runs around to the back, tries to go, goes up the back stairs, doesn't hear anything. Hears the car start up out front, runs back out front. And th- it's a big blue sedan. Uh, our 200 files files did not have an entry for this one. So I am unsure what the, the model here <laughs> is, but uh, the, the sedan is gone and um, Jim has 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 apparently lost his lost his quarry here Mm -hmm. he's taking a moment to like decide what to do next i guess and then looks at the trash cans that are outside the house and on the top of one of them is a blood-stained apron and he pulls it up and it says sabachi brothers prime meats yes in a wonderful uh next time we do shirts maybe we'll do a a a bootleg sabachi brothers uh oh yeah it it looks good just a uh a, a prime meats and then just like a blood stain, like a yeah, just yeah. like a like a bright red one, like it is in the uh, TV blood stain kind of yeah. thing. That'd be great. This is this is a uh, again. I'm not quite remembering what the trick is of this episode, and it it feels it it feels planted to me. Yeah, nothing about this whole situation feels natural, and I mm. think that's very intentional. Um, we cut to Jim throwing the apron onto Dennis's desk, which is <laughs> a very funny move because it is bloodstained. Dennis doesn't even look at him and just goes, get that off my desk. <laughs> That's when Jim notices his nose and asks him about it. <laughs> so he starts off with saying, well, he hit it on the dashboard of a squad car. Oh, what was it? A, a high speed chase? <laughs> no, he went out to lunch with Chapman. And he got so involved with talking about new regulations that he ran a red light. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. Mm -hmm. And Jim is loving it. Jim couldn't be happier to hear that. And then it's like, you can't tell anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Jim wants to run the apron through the lab, find out if it's animal blood or human blood. Dennis isn't going to run it until he knows what's going on. Uh, And Jim says, fine. I'll take it to a private lab. <laughs> and there's just this wonderful little judo reversal thing here where yeah, like, yeah. where Jim says, you know, I want you to do this for me. Well, I'm not going to do it till you, until I know what's going on. Okay, fine. I'll go elsewhere. Well, I want to know what's going on. Well, I'll tell you what's going on as soon as you run it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he uses, uses Dennis's need to be involved against him. I, I love a motif. And this episode is filled with them. This, this, uh, using Jim or Dennis's curiosity against him is going to happen to Jim Mm. a little later on. And like, it's like this little pre echo of like, Mm. like a thing that's going to happen in the episode. And I love that. Uh, it also echoes out to the earlier thing where it's clear that Dennis had run the plates, 
out of curiosity, uh, but then didn't want to tell Jim the info. You know what I mean? Like it's a very like uh, I don't know. I just I'm just really enjoying the 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 way the different parts of the episode uh, mirror each other. Um, when we get a little further down the line, we'll, we'll see where Jim. The same thing happens to Jim, where he's mm-hmm. he's he wants to get out, but the curiosity just won't let him leave. We of course end the scene with uh, with Dennis handing the apron to Billings. Yes. <laughs> Jim's like, like, that Billings really is a nice guy, isn't he? And yeah. Dennis just done with him. Just done with him. So, uh, it's very good. Our next scene is Jim reporting back to Albach, who is uh, dressing him down for going to the police against his express instructions. But mm-hmm. Jim says he didn't mention him or his wife. Well, weren't there any questions? None that I answered, which is a good <laughs> Rockfordism. Yes. They have this conversation. At a certain point, we cut to see that there's two yeah. men monitoring the conversation as it's being recorded. So, like, they have headphones, there's a tape recorder. And so it's like, okay, we, you know, we get the very, the very heads up, something is going on. This is the moment foretold of where I go and look through our back catalog to make sure we haven't done this episode yet. <laughs> you know what it is? I think there's another, there's, I'm, I'm probably also confusing it with one that we have done where um, he was being spied on from the other room or he's dropped upon mm. by like federal agents, I think. There's been a couple where, yeah. yeah. But so the, the way that these guys are kind of dressed and presented, they yeah. do seem like some kind of fed. Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever, some kind of law enforcement situation. Of course, the question is, are they recording Albach? Like, right? Who's yeah. who's who are they recording and why? Um, Albach wants to know why Jim's so worried, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's like, all, he says, all you have is a butcher's apron and a house with nothing amiss. And he says, incidentally, how did you get in there? And Jim's like, well, I picked the lock. And I, I was like, oh. This will be important later. It's it's not, but it no. felt a little specific <laughs> yeah. to like get Jim to say like I picked the lock to get in. Your wife may be in very serious danger. What does it take to activate your defrost cycle? <laughs> and just because he doesn't display emotions doesn't mean he doesn't have them. And he asks, is Jim afraid for Tracy or for himself? This is Jim reiterates that you should go to the police. Mm-hmm. I can't. Do you want to see your wife dead or just a little upset? And so he's like, okay, do you want to know what the real problem is? And Jim's mm-hmm. like, yes, of course I want to know what the real problem is. Apparently a few months ago, Tracy was involved in an altercation with a cab driver. Blows were exchanged. They kept it out of the press, but couldn't keep it out of court. And if she's involved in something like that, again, she could be committed being put in an institution. She wouldn't be able to handle that. It would kill her. Mm-hmm. Albach is willing to go to $300 a day yeah. to stay on the case. And he holds out three crisp $100 bills. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it all in your hands. And Jim can't turn down the easy cash. Uh, but this is where, from the preview montage, if there's human blood on that apron, he's going to go to the cops, whether Albach likes it or not. So, um, one... Okay, two, three things of note. <laughs> we'll start with the least important one, which is the paintings in this room are <laughs> mm, exquisitely 70s. Uh, I love, I mean, just the, the the fact that part of the painting is the texture is great. Like there'll be like a stripe mm-hmm. of color and it, it'll have like bumps in it and stuff. Anyways, lovely stuff. I, uh, I don't have the art background to <laughs> describe it in a way that, uh, just watch the episode. Um but okay, so that was the the 
the next up is there's a point in this where um, Jim actually calls out all the questions that this guy is asking him, right? Right. Uh, that that Albach has been asking Jim, and he says, like, what's with the 20 questions or something like that? That's when it clicks in my mm-hmm. brain. Oh, he's being... Uh, we, we haven't gotten to the reveal, so right. I won't reveal it yet. But, like, uh, that's when I remember what's happening, because it's important that this guy's asking Jim questions about what's going on. Right. But more specifically, he's asking Jim questions about how he feels. Yeah, yeah. And that's the... Uh, that's what... Ah. Yeah, and that culminates with the, like, are you afraid for Tracy or afraid for yourself? Right, yeah. There's a bit of tone, and I think this is part of the, not misdirect, but part of the keeping, you know, keep, keeping an open question as to what's going on. There's a bit of tone of him, of Albach kind of being, like, kind of challenging Jim to stay on the case, right? Like, are you yeah. scared? Like, can you not handle it? Like, that. Yeah. that is alongside the other reason for asking him all these questions. Yeah. And then the pattern continues where he's uh, presenting more of the story and then offers more money. Right. And that's a uh, I'm writing it down as it's happening. I'm like, Mm -hmm. Jim, take that money. Just keep going. Just take that money. money. It's also increasingly like it's not that it's unbelievable, I guess, but it is like it it feels like an increasingly tenuous story. Yeah, yeah. It, it, the story is changing as it goes along, which is, I mean, not unusual for a Rockford Files or a mystery show. Right. But at this point, Jim is probably like, none of this is real. I don't, I don't know what the real story is, but I'm certainly at that stage. I'm like, hmm, something's wrong. Well, and Jim, and we see this in the next scene, or in the or in two scenes, I guess. But Jim, he's at the stage where we see him a lot, where the the reasons don't matter, but he's concerned about the material. Yeah issue of is this woman safe or is she in danger and it's a little immaterial about why he's involved at this point but the fact that he's involved means he's going to stay involved yeah jim heads home where two goons are waiting for him max savachi himself Mm -hmm. and (laughs) another goon who in my notes i'm like this guy is an 80s old guy jobber wrestler (laughs) Yeah, yeah I'm trying to it's it's hard to put into words. If you know you know, but like the the secondary goon who is never introduced and doesn't matter, but yeah. you know, Savachi's backup. He looks like the guy where if you went to a wrestling show in the 80s and a guy came out and he looked like your uncle. Right. But then he gets <laughs> in the ring and he's actually really a hard ass, like a real rough guy. That's what this guy looks like. Yeah. And uh Savichi himself is uh, is no uh, <laughs> pushover either. Like no. th- this guy clearly looks. Yeah. So this yeah. is one of one of the faces. There's a lot of good faces. Uh, this guy. This is he's played by Cliff Carnell. Mm-hmm. And this is our final, the final appearance oh, yes. of Mr. Carnell on our program. We're closing closing the Carnell cycle here. This is the second of his three Rockford Files appearances. This is our final viewing of him because we've seen his other two. He was in So Help Me God. And I th- as I think just like the gangster or whatever, like, yeah. you know, someone kind of tertiary. But I, I remember him specifically from just a couple of guys because yeah. he's the mobster in just a couple of guys who the couple of guys are trying to get in good with getting good with. Yeah, he's, he's one of those guys with a good face. Yeah, he's got a great face. Uh, Which is deployed well in this episode as well. He has a great threatening demeanor. And so, of course, he threatens Jim. 
leave it alone. If you don't, buddy, you wind up just another Starline hanging on a meat hook. <laughs> yes. There's, there's some banter back and forth of various butcher references. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jim starts coming back at him and the, uh, the, the secondary goon pulls out a chain. Yes. <laughs> and that is when Rocky comes out of the trailer. Just on time. Just on time. And they, they, they play cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they leave Jim They on a threatening note. Jim is clearly upset. Mm-hmm. He's, he's heading in towards his trailer. Rocky hits him <laughs> with a... What's that guy's beef? Is that supposed to be funny or something? Huh? Hey, what did I say? It is good. So we get our escalation right there. Our next scene is a... <laughs> A chef kiss scene here. Oh, it is. It is. One of the wonderful Rocky Jim uh, interactions that could be in any episode. It just happens to be in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, Rocky's made dinner. It's fish. I caught it. I cooked it. The least you can do is <laughs> eat it. It's a full plate. We see a potato. We see some kind of greens. Yeah. Some kind of like rice or pasta side of some kind. Yeah. Uh, as well as the fish, or maybe that's the tartar sauce. It could be the tartar sauce, yeah, because the tartar sauce becomes important. Right. So Rocky is eating his plate. The other plate is there. Jim hasn't touched it because he's been trying to get in touch with Albuck for three hours, and it just keeps ringing. Uh, hasn't been able to find him. We have our banter here where Jim wants to know, what would you do if your wife disappeared? And Rocky's <laughs> like, your mother never left the house, but she left a note telling me where she was going and when she'd be back. And what I was allowed to help myself to in the icebox. <laughs> oh, so good. But what if she didn't? Like, but she always did. <laughs> but what if she didn't? Wouldn't you be upset? And uh, of course, he would be upset. Jim is more concerned about Abak's wife than he is. Um, Rocky wants him to come, come take a, you know, come eat his dinner. He made the tartar sauce special. Mm-hmm. But uh, Jim, he just can't pin anything down about this case. It's all very confused he calls the house again the line is busy and so he's like aha he's home it's like okay now you can eat something and try him again later and jim has a victorious yeah ha and he picks up his <laughs> fork and he goes oh wait no no and he puts down his fork he's gonna go back I, i'm gonna go to his office and, and talk to him there he's gonna jim has some logic about like he i think he thinks he's been sitting there ignoring the phone yeah and then took it off the hook. Like, he's like, well, now that I know he's there, I can go confront him. Right, right. That, yeah. yeah, yeah. So as he heads out, Rocky ends on a, well, I'm going to leave the dishes for you. <laughs> so this, okay, so let's talk about this scene. Because mm-hmm. like you said, this is pound for pound Rockford ish mm-hmm. This is, this is, a, this is an exquisite. Yeah, this one's a, a high level contender. Yeah, we get great. Rocky and Jim interaction, which we never don't get. Like, Mm -hmm. whenever they're together, it's perfect. But, like, uh, we get a wonderful little glimpse into Rocky's past with his wife and whatnot. (laughs) And and, uh, it's funny. He keeps going. He's pacing back between the phone and the meal. And so you just keep getting closer and closer to him to actually eating something, but never actually eating something. Up, Up to the picking up the fork, almost putting it in his mouth. And then putting it down. No, no, I got to yeah. go over there. This is okay. So this is like a tiny echo of the thing that happened with um, uh, 
Dennis, where De- like he manages to lure Dennis in with his curiosity. He he can't do anything until he finds out what what's going on here. But also, this is a setup for a three part thing that I just love in this episode. We're going to come back to this meal. Mm-hmm. We'll be back at this meal. Yep. Two more times. Yep. <laughs> uh, and I, I love it. I just I, I just absolutely love it. It's it's. It's well crafted, is what it is. It's, it's written, and of course, it's written. It's Juanita Bartlett. Mm-hmm. She writes. <laughs> I think it's interesting that we, and I'm, I'm sure this is just kind of you know just just luck of the draw kind of coincidence, but our last two episodes have given us uh, specific looks at Jim's mom yeah. through Rocky's reminiscences. But yeah. Like how she, you know, she would never climb a telephone pole to, you know, <laughs> yes. to be a telephone line worker or whatever, and she never left the house but to tell me where she was going. Like you, you really start to get a picture of, uh, yeah, uh, Miss Mrs. Rockford, I suppose. Yeah. So Jim goes to the office. Uh, the door is ajar. It's dark, and he hears a woman's voice. And so we see our our introduction to Tracy, uh, presumably, and it is confirmed soon. She's on the phone talking to someone. In the moment, I was like, okay, I kind of remember how this goes. This is part of the whole thing, blah, blah, blah. In retrospect, her conversation here is actually relatively important because it's not part of... I'm just realizing now that it's not part of of the the main narrative. Yeah. Um, so uh, I don't remember exactly, but she's like talking to someone about how she's busy on a job or something, but, or she's, she's been busy, mm-hmm. but she's back in town now. She mentions a specific bar and a, and a name of a yeah. the bartender and we see Jim eavesdropping on her and this yeah. is important later. But then when she notices him, he, she hangs up, he introduces himself, says he's a PI and her response is, oh no, Eric <laughs> hired you, right? He never lets up. So she, you know, isn't what Jim expected, obviously. Mm -hmm. She says that, you know, her husband, Eric, is insanely jealous, emphasis on the insane, Mm -hmm. and he's been getting worse over time. He spies on her. There's been a half dozen stories and a half dozen PIs. Jim asks her about the conversation she was having. She's like, that's that's none of your business. And then he says, and then there's Max (laughs) Zavachi. We cut to our guys listening on headphones. So we're like, ah, yeah. this is all still, you know, part of something. This is the same office in which he was eavesdropped on before. Yes. And Tracy says that Max has a temper. He, she's sorry he threatened Jim, but he's really very gentle. And there's a, this is a pretty good bit where he's like, Are we talking about the same Max Savachi, the butcher? What kind of a snob are you? So he's a butcher. Would it make a difference if I was having an affair with a, an executive or an artist or a publisher? Max is a butcher. I like him. He's also a goon. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Fair enough. Good, yeah, yeah. good point. <laughs> she wants Jim to leave her alone, tell Eric to leave her alone, and she means it. She leaves. Jim makes a call, gets another busy signal at the, the house, presumably. And then we hear screeching, like we hear a car coming to a stop, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um. Jim looks out the window. I'm okay. There's a white car mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from the IMDb trivia. It is a 1978 Pontiac Trans Am. Okay. Yeah. And it has the full like Eagle. Trans Am. Yeah. Eagle logo insignia, whatever on the hood, like the, the big mm-hmm. one. So it is a, it is a hell of a car. We're looking down from the window from Jim's perspective. And this mm-hmm. is where I think both my note taking, uh, vision 
and my general face blindness both failed me. My note, like, it looked to me like Eric was grabbing her and putting her in this car. And I was like, that's a weird, that's weird. Hmm. But it's, it's not, it's a new person. Yeah. But I just totally didn't recognize yeah. that it was a new person. Uh, so I got a little confused here. It's, it's, it's cleared up very soon. And I'm sure if you were actually watching this, like a real person would be watching this. It's obvious that it's, we have a new character involved, but, uh, yeah, I was, I was kind of like, okay, I don't, I, now I'm getting a little muddled about who's doing what now my confusion with this scene this is the moment that i told you about from the preview Mm -hmm. montage and the lack of a chase Mm -hmm. because how do you have this car yeah (laughs) and the firebird and you don't go head to head right Mm -hmm. like that was i saw that car i got super excited and then realized just remembered that there was no chase sequence in that opening montage and it's not that it ruined anything for me but (laughs) <laughs> the missed opportunity yeah <laughs> like it's just there's a moment at the end where i'm where it's like oh finally there's gonna be and right it right. doesn't happen yeah. <laughs> yeah we are back in the trailer the phone is ringing and jim says just let it ring yeah. he's, he's getting his revenge by not answering the phone <laughs> uh rocky is doing dishes even though he said he'd leave them for jim and says it's probably all back again he's called three times and jim says don't bother uh he takes the plastic wrap off of oh, his yeah, yeah off of his plate of food that Rocky saved for him takes a bite compliments Rocky Rocky's like oh it's cold it's like well but the flavor is wonderful Um, so we finally get a bite of food and compliments to the chef on his uh, (laughs) yes on his 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 fish which is great but then he finally breaks and does answer the phone this is like this is a mirror of the previous one right obviously He's now eating the food and the phone, which was keeping him from the food, he's he's ignoring. But he can't keep that up, mm-hmm. right? He, he has to go to the phone. Yeah. He can't not get some closure, I think. Yeah, yeah. So it is indeed Albach. Uh, he says that he saw Tracy. They went their separate ways. She's the one that says he's the cuckoo uh, <laughs> and she wants to be left alone. How about we forget the whole thing? Uh, Albach's like, I want to... I want to talk. Can we can we meet and, and talk about this in person? <laughs> Jim's like, what, under a bridge? Like that's uh, <laughs> at, under a bridge at midnight. That would fit your sense of the dramatic. He offers him another hundred dollars. That's four hundred dollars. Twice your going daily rate. And Jim says, you can make it eight hundred and I still wouldn't touch it. I don't handle domestic cases uh, and I don't deal with people who don't level with me. Mm-hmm. So he hangs up. Rocky tells him he's doing the right thing with a great Rocky dig, like backhand. Yeah, yeah. It's not really a backhanded <laughs> compliment, but it's kind of a disguised uh, insult. I'll tell you something else, too. Your business is bad enough without monkeying around with people like that got trouble in their head. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rocky. Rocky. Rocky is classically no help in this particular scene, no. which is great. <laughs> Yeah. So Jim kind of runs through like, oh, he's playing on my sympathy. Mm-hmm. See, he gave me this old wedding photo, not a current photo, um, you know, to get me interested. And Rocky, of course, yeah. responds <laughs> with, oh, she's a cute little thing, isn't she? Yeah. But Jim doesn't care. He's out of it. If he's going to wonder about one thing, it would be finding the apron. That whole yeah. thing was too neat. It's almost like it was staged. Yep. And, and here's a, a new insight for us. And you see these shoes? <laughs> so he says, I was told that the picture was taken at their wedding in 1968. They weren't wearing shoes like this in 1968. <laughs> uh, 
So I assume this is a reference that, you know, contemporaneously would be would would be correct. Right. Because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Or or an insight into something about Jim, something yeah. very personal about Jim. <laughs> Didn't take Jim for a shoe guy, but maybe... yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? But yeah, so this is uh, this episode comes out uh, December seventy seven. So yeah, you so know they're basically saying like, decade. yeah. So like these are ten years ago. They were not wearing these shoes. Like okay, that seems fair. I was I was actually thinking about this and thinking if I would have. I'm not a detective. I mean, like we should have that <laughs> at the front of every episode. Uh, but I don't think I would have been able to nail footwear, but mm-hmm. there are other things that like, if I, I was like mm, 10 years ago, I, they wouldn't have done like that. That's, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that's a, a thing that happened since this or whatever. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah. I think it, it does not seem weird to me that Jim would recognize things that are out of place. Right. Yeah. That's kind of his job. So I think if it's something that I knew something about, right. Like. Let's see. What year is it? 2023? Yeah. So if you're going to show me a picture from 2013 and it looked like a camera phone picture, not like a digital camera picture. Right. I might pick up on that because those kinds of pictures look different. Right. Um, And that's something I kind of know about. There's a a commercial that plays on on Hulu Mm -hmm. uh, from time to time for there's a band. And they have a music video. And the music video is very retro 80s. But it's re- it is mid-aughts retro 80s. Right, right. And yeah. for some reason, I can identify that. Just like right off the bat, I'm like, oh, no, this isn't. This is somebody nostalgic for a nostalgia that occurred in the aughts. Yeah. <laughs> for the 80s. So I can understand Jim, like, seeing these shoes and going, oh, no, no, these don't. You know, yeah. I just don't understand the shoe bit. <laughs> the part, like the other details, might have worked or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, well, they needed something, right? Like yeah. for this story, like he needed something to twig onto in the picture. It's great now because we're watching Jim talk himself into this, yes. right? Like we're, we're this is this is good Rockfordishness as well. But I just whenever this shows up in any kind of mystery fiction or something like that, where the where the the sleuth whether they're a detective or not, is trying to get away from the case. And then they're just like, oh, that one detail <laughs> like that, that sticks in my cry. It's like the reverse Columbo. It's like it's not that Columbo needs to has one more thing. It's that yeah. Columbo's going, oh, there's one. There's just one thing that I have to figure out. Yes, exactly. Yeah, because we're now past the point of him being concerned about danger because like she's clearly. Yeah. Well, the intention is that she's clearly fine. Yeah. But then he saw her in this weird situation getting into a car where she didn't seem like she wanted to. Yeah. So he still has a question mark about, like, is she okay? But clearly he isn't being leveled with and et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So I think there's the, that combination of, like, he still is slightly concerned. And he right. also was just like, what is going on? Like, why yeah. am I in yeah. this? Like, why am I even involved? And I think that's what really gets him. And we end the scene on Rocky... Thought you said you was going to leave it alone. I can't. I I just can't. (laughs) We are going to take a little break in the middle of our episode here so that we can stretch, maybe get a beverage or a snack and talk about the other places that you can find us on the Internet. Epi, if our listeners want more Epi, where can they go to get maximum Epi? You can find... uh me at my website dig a thousand holes.com that's dig one zero 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 holes.com or 
you can get my sword and sorcery fiction and games at worldswithoutmaster.com. That's worlds, plural, master, singular. If you want to engage with me on the social medias, the best place to go right now is Mastodon at Epidiah at Dice.Camp. Nathan, if they want to get Maximum Nathan, where do they have to go for that? I should have gone Maximum Nathan. Maximum Nathan can be found at my website, ndpdesign.com. That's the hub for all my stuff on the internet, including all my uh, role-playing games, zines, and other podcasts. Uh, So if you're interested in pro wrestling detectives Mm -hmm. or zines about pro wrestling, (laughs) among other things, um, those are all at my website. It also has links to contact me in other ways. Currently, I'm still... um, posting on instagram at andy paoletta that's where i'm posting pictures of my dog uh you can also find me at co-host co-host.org slash ndp that is a fun small scale social media site that i'm enjoying quite a lot and now we return to the continuing adventures of jimbo rockfish so here's where him overhearing that conversation that tracy was having on the phone has the payoff because he goes to the bar that he heard her talking about Goes to the bartender, whose name is George. I'm gonna I'm gonna mention the music because we got. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's like a Moog or a Hammond organ or whatever, <laughs> but this is good good music here. This is this is a uh, it stands out. Yeah, I don't really have a good beat on like what this kind of bar is supposed to be. Because right. like there's like a couple women there that seem like they're kind of hippies. Hmm. But then the bar, the bartender, George, played by Johnny Seven, yes. is a total, <laughs> uh, a, a total paisan. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's like, and the music is like kind of a neither, in a, in this yeah. neither here nor there zone. It's very, it just seems like they were having fun with it. On yeah, this yeah, one. yeah. <laughs> but Jim has this whole line. He goes, he, he orders a pina colada, or as he, as he says, a pina colada. <laughs> and George gives him a look. And then he goes, he's like, oh, you're not going to actually make it, are you? What are you, a comic or something? This is a bar. You order a pina colada, I'm not going to make you a tuna fish surprise. Now, you want one or what? Tracy said, if I came in and asked you for a pina colada, blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh, you're a friend of Tracy. Tracy always likes a good gag. Place isn't the same without her. And so Jim learns that Tracy's a friend of George, the bartender, a regular, but hasn't been there for about a month. Mm Mm-hmm. Jim really wants to find her. He has, I think he's, I think he says, I have a game I'm running. And if I'm going to lay down 500 clams, I want the best. (laughs) So he has this read on like Tracy is involved in some, yeah, in something like some underworld stuff, some con game stuff, something. Mm -hmm. And that mention of 500, 500 clams keeps, keeps George interested. And I think being interested in Tracy's welfare is like, well, if you're, if you have a job for her, here's where her apartment is. Mm-hmm. Jim goes to said apartment, and as he is looking at the mailboxes, we hear a woman scream. Jim runs to an apartment. A guy in a leather jacket pops out of the door. Jim grabs his arm and just gets a big punch across the jaw. Uh, he runs off. Jim goes into the goes into the apartment, and we have a foreground shot of a woman's body hanging off of the bed, and Jim in the yeah. background. And he goes up to check, and unfortunately, that is the last we will see of poor Tracy. Cut from there to the body being taken out by the police. The uh, the music, like after J- Jim gets decked, the music tells us everything about what happened. Mm, yeah. 
that whole sequence is, I think, well done. Um, I did have one question about the fancy drink, the pina colada situation, because it was just something, there was something in that conversation where George reveals that Tracy likes fancy drinks of some sort or whatever. Something it like just, that. It, it felt like Jim lucked into something there. Yeah. And I, I, I made a note of it. And I was like, I don't, I don't get, all right, fine. We'll, we'll just let that one go or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, but I love how this real dire situation mirrors the, the staged one we yeah. get before Jim shows up, hears a scream, mm. uh, does the same thing, tries to get in and uh in this case it's it's necessary it's not a staged one so we get to have jim and dennis talk out the case um Mm -hmm. so this is where i'm like okay so i guess the guy in the coat the leather jacket he's the guy that she got into the car with yeah um i'm like okay that makes more sense now yeah (laughs) with it now uh we still don't know who he is and right. how he how he uh, relates to any of this, but yeah. Um, they found her ID. Uh, her name is Tracy, but with a different last name. The name on her ID is um, Tracy Marquette. Yeah, it's also the name in the IMDb. Mm-hmm. Well, that is the name of the character. Yes, <laughs> but I'm just saying, if Jim had checked IMDb, I see. Yeah, it says this. Jim asks if he can look in the closet. Dennis says that his job now is to stay out of the way. You know, the police are on it now. It's a, it's a murder case. But Jim wants Dennis to have some provocative questions to ask Albach. And so <laughs> he looks in the closet and sure enough, those white shoes were in there and he lays out for Jim, for, for Dennis. I had this picture, you know, no one was wearing these shoes in 1968. Like I said, a provocative question. <laughs> Jim goes to uh, confront Albeck, but the it's an empty office. It was a big store, my friends. It is all gone. <laughs> Paintings and everything. Uh, Jim calls Dennis to tell him that. Dennis is like, well, I'll follow up with the building manager, you know, see what I can find. And Jim is of the opinion that... Uh, that'll get you nowhere. Yeah, that'll get you nowhere. You'll find out he paid in cash and gave no forwarding address. This is... So in talking to Dennis, he says that apron was steer's blood anyway right but why plant it in the first place Mm -hmm. right like this is still strange maybe there'll be some clues in the trash well how big is the building big which means there'd be a lot of coffee grinds and chewing gum and half-eaten lunches and tea bags dennis i think it's worth a try yeah i could see that let me know if you find anything (laughs) hangs up with a look on his face like "Mm." I really, really enjoyed this because this is a uh, listing things that they could have thrown away in the trash, examples of things they could have thrown away in the trash, and then Dennis listing examples of things that aren't clues that you would find in the trash, mm-hmm. revealing that both both Jim and Dennis have spent a lot of time going through trash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, this is like a, this is a very, like, job-specific detail mm-hmm. for both of them. Uh, and it's great. Like, it, it just feels like a very real... Uh, it, it makes it it makes the whole thing feel very lived in. Well, we get to see some of Jim's, uh, uh, I don't know, legwork uh, <laughs> yeah. where we go to the alley where there's uh, open trash bags everywhere as he's clearly been methodically going through every trash can that was behind this office building. But then he does finally find something. It's a, a receipt made out to a to to Von Albach from Kresge's Lab Animals. <laughs> 
apparently, according to this receipt, adult white male rats are two dollars each. <laughs> yes, there's, there's a moment here. I don't know if this is text, right? But he sees it, and I feel like he looks around and just makes this decision that I'm done with trash. No, I think so. Yeah, I think yeah, he, like <laughs> part of his body language here was also kind of like. Well, I'm not cleaning this up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, like, I'm going to get out of here before someone, like, you know, tries to get me to put all this trash back in the bins. Yeah. This this lead is is a any port in the storm. Mm-hmm. The only thing he's found is Albach's name on a receipt to some other place. And he's like, I'm following it. That's yeah. it. I'm done. I, I'm out of this trash business. I'm moving on. So, yeah, so this is where I think the the knowledge of of how this all goes, yeah, this bleeds is... bleeds any tension out of where this is going, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah since since we know how this is going to end up, this is kind of like watching him go through the the paces to get to where we need to go. I was right. trying to remember how this struck me the first time I watched it. This is the first place where it's kind of like you could start putting some pieces together some clues together some of the foreshadowing yeah stuff together because like lab rats and yeah he's been having this very he has this very clinical personality the the asking of the questions about his like how he feels about things i think so um the what threw me and i actually rewound and paused several times which i didn't need to because it was just gonna show me in the next scene Mm -hmm. i kept trying to connect the butchers to the to the the uh lab animal right. mm-hmm. uh thing and it just there's no connection like it's yeah. not a, a it's not a thing um but i i was like wait how is this yeah he already knows the name of the butchers and didn't didn't it get revealed just moments ago that that is not a real butcher shop or something like that like all of their leads are dried up i couldn't remember but anyways no because they're a real butcher it's just that the the apron didn't have any evidence of crime it was just a butcher's right, apron with steer's yeah. blood on it Oh yeah, I I kept trying to think like, is this the receipt for the steer? Like, I kept, I kept trying to figure out like wh- how it connected to what had already happened without realizing this is a new thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This takes us in a new direction. Well, Jim goes to Kresge's Lab Animals, uh, which has a great sign um, <laughs> for the storefront. Um, he talks to Kresge himself, who is played by another good face. This guy, this is Jack Collins, and. Yeah. Again, this is our last of three episodes where we have oh. seen him. Second for him, third for us. He was in Just Another Polish Wedding, where I think he was one of the musicians. Ah. I think. He's got two listings for it. I think he's, maybe he had two, maybe he's under an alias, like he... Oh, maybe. Yeah. Oh, because I think he's a guy who like has what who has like an alias, and then he, they track him down, and he's an actually oh, yeah, a different yeah yeah musician. And then he was in Never Send a Boy King to Do a Man's Job, and I'm pretty sure he's one of the crew, like one of the con men. Uh, yes, crew. I think yes, he has a very con crew look about him. So that's great. He he's been in some high water mark episodes. Yes, here he is. Um, a little defensive about his wares. He's uh, so Jim's like, I'm here from uh, Dr. Von Albuck's office about these rats. Mm-hmm. He's like, they were in perfect health when they leave here. Right. No returns, <laughs> no refunds. And he's like, no, no, no. Well, he's not there from the office. He's like, I'm, 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 I'm here because I was talking to Dr. Von Albuck or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
Jim's line is that they were old friends. I didn't even know he had doctor in front of his name these days. <laughs> he ran into him and they were reminiscing and he was going to, uh, Elbach was going to give him his address to, to meet him later. But then they just, they just kept on talking and he just forgot about it. He was going to write it down on this receipt. And so he never, he never got around to it. And so the only way that he can meet his friend is if, uh, Kresge can, can tell him where he, where it is. He says, well, we don't deliver. Someone from his department picks them up. He's a visiting professor of behavioral sciences at Pepperdine. <laughs> like Pavlov's dogs, white rats in a maze kind of thing. <laughs> well, that's an oversimplification, but yeah. And Jim's just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think at this point, Jim knows what's, what's, well, no, he doesn't actually. He doesn't know exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, he's, he's, he's been conned. Right. Yeah. And he's been conned by apparently a behavioral sciences professor who works at a university. So like, it's not like a con man con or, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, there's something, still something to discover. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also wanted, I I made a note here that uh, it's clear that they want this reveal to be a surprise because they do take care not to foreshadow it in the opening montage. Like oftentimes an opening montage won't really care about what it reveals because it's Mm -hmm. just trying to get you interested in upcoming events. And I felt that this one kind of carefully, like there are lines in here that could have ended up in an opening montage that didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, like Pavlov's dogs, lab rats in a maze kind of stuff. Like that is a preview montage kind of line. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it is. Uh, this episode is constructed for this to be a like, oh, that's what's yeah, going on. Yeah. We still have a question about the details because, like Jim, we still don't know why Jim and what the con or whatever, whatever the situation mm-hmm. was. But now, we're like, okay, so this guy's lying about who he is, probably lying about that woman being his wife because we know she yeah. has a different last name and stuff. How is this? How does this all come together? Yeah, what what's the score here? So Jim is staking out uh, Pepperdine, the uh, lab, the behavioral sciences lab mm. or whatever. He sees Albach paying off Savachi and his goon in the parking lot, <laughs> which is awfully convenient. But, yeah. You know, sure enough, we see him giving him some money. We're in the last 15 minutes of the episode, I think. So yeah, there's still is... a lot to get through, actually, in the last like 15 minutes of this episode. Um, and then he already set something up. So he sees Albach go in, then he goes to his car, brings yes. out a rabbit in a cage, <laughs> goes up the steps and talks to a student who clearly had already talked to. Professor Albach is here now, or Dr. Albach yeah. is here now, so he, here's where his lab is and gives him the directions. Easy, easy story. And then we see Jim uh, discover what's going on. The door to the lab is open. Our two guys who we saw listening to this recording multiple times are in white coats. So now we know they're doctors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Universal we, sign. We hear Jim's voice from yeah. that recording being played. And we see uh, Albach looking over like a voice print readout printout thing. The sign on the door says this is the voice stress evaluation lab. Mm-hmm. Jim eavesdrops as they go over the voice print. Subject at this point appears both confused and frightened. Now it is of the utmost importance when this juncture of fear and confusion is reached to maintain a satisfactory emotional posture or SEP. This is for you too Mr. Postner. Uh, sorry doctor. Subject must be given emotional reassurance 
followed by monetary reinforcement. I cannot stress enough the sequential importance here. ER, then MR. Yes. <laughs> Any questions? And Jin steps in on, I got a lot of questions. <laughs> Albuck is clearly surprised to see him, but also not a demonstrative man. So yeah. <laughs> he just starts off with, now keep in mind, you were well paid for being a research subject. <laughs> Jim is at his limit. Like, oh yeah, you can see it. Like it's it's a uh, this it's a good reveal uh, in just how ready he is. Well, he has a line in a moment where he's like, "Tell me what's going on, or do you want me to stuff you in one of those computers?" Yeah, you he's barely holding that back, right? Like he's yeah, yeah. Not only has he been lied to, he's been used for some yeah. experiment that he wasn't even party to. Yeah. Uh, which is clearly unethical. Um, and also he's like, oh, as part of the experiment, like to, you know, bring the heat down on me with Savachi or whatever. It's like Savachi was instructed to use non-critical physical persuasion. <laughs> I, I do like that. That one lab assistant breaking in and say, I was there when he was instructed that way. As right. if that like makes it better. Any of the things that happen. Jim tells him that Tracy is dead. It's a little unclear whether he knows that already or not. I think it's supposed to be a news to him. I think it is. Yeah. He's not a demonstrable man. Right. Tracy Marquette is dead. Um, and I think that leads into Jim with saying, now, do you want to tell me what's going on? Or you want me to stuff you in one of those computers? Yeah. We, you know, have a commercial break there. And we cut back to Albach saying, this is terrible. Murder totally invalidates the entire experiment. <laughs> Yes. Oof. Uh, she was hired for the, you know, for this whole thing. No other connection to her. So the deal is, he has a two hundred thousand dollar grant from the Department of Labor to uh, work on the study for the government. Loyalty and incidents of task completion for monetary reinforcement by self-employed high-risk day workers. That's my study. And I'm the self-employed high-risk day worker. One of them. The study is complex, but in layman's terms, it's to test his loyalty to completing the task with nothing but monetary compensation. And so the example he gives for the government's interest is, for example, how much do you pay a police officer to go into a dangerous situation? Mm -hmm. It's important to the government to know how to motivate people. It's a pretty sinister study when you think about it. <laughs> it's pretty sinister. It's clearly unethical to do this kind of... Yeah. So this the whole premise of this episode is very, like, exaggerated for TV, mm -hmm. I, th I think... In a, in a good way, like it's a fun premise. Yeah. Um, but breaking down the logic behind it is like this guy is a psychopath. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Tracy was just someone they hired. Uh, she did mention something about trouble with a boyfriend, but I wasn't listening. I've learned that if you're in a conversation, you just make the right noises, like uh huh and hmm, and Jim's like uh huh, mm -hmm. then people will mm -hmm. think you're listening even when you're not. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's a fun <laughs> bit. But he still is like, no police. We can't go to the police. It will jeopardize my grant if police are involved. <laughs> and then Jim says, well, what about telling the Department of Labor that he was involved with the murder of a prostitute? Which I think has been implied about Tracy This yeah. in bits and pieces. But I think this is the, the only place where it's that stated out outright. Albach says that he'll do anything short of going to the cops to cooperate. And I think Jim says anything. And then we cut to George hauling him over the bar by his necktie. I am... So with George on this one. <laughs> what are you doing taking people and treating them like chimpanzees? What kind of thing is that to do? Uh, George is speaking for all of us. Yes. 
in the the previous scene, there's just a great moment of James Gardner acting. I think it's at, right after um, Albuck says he, you know, he, he'll have trouble explaining it or whatever. And James is like, try. And he gives him this wink that is just one of the more sinister winks I've ever <laughs> seen. <laughs> like, it's just, it's good. Anyways, sorry, go on. Uh, Jim is suddenly, as as so often, as he so often is, is suddenly thrust into the role of de-escalating the situation. Yeah. <laughs> He's trying to help now. Don't you want to find who killed Tracy? And he describes the guy that he saw. And George goes, Phil, he wouldn't do that. And Albeck says, oh, Phil, that that sounds like the name of the boyfriend she said ex- she was having yeah. trouble with. George says that he wasn't her boyfriend. He's just a friend. Like, we're all friends. Uh, she set him up with the old guy who would send a limo for her. Um, and they're like, old guy? Yeah, he's an old, I guess he's, he's supposed to be like an old, like, comedy yeah, actor, comedy or, actor or, something. or something. Yeah, But Billy Baines, old guy in a wheelchair. So now we get to our climax of the episode, a big fancy house uh with Albeck and jim walking up to the door he wants he wants to know now why don't you just call the police like you have a suspect Mm -hmm. i don't need to be involved his pursuit of the matter with no monetary incentive just doesn't make sense and jim says phil saw me i saw phil that should be something you can understand or that should be incentive you understand something like that and then we see this guy phil seeing them from this upper window so we know yeah we know he knows they're there so they go in to talk to Billy Baines, um, who is played by J. Pat O'Malley. That is another name. Another name, face, and voice. Yeah. Um, his, his known four credits are all of the 50s and 60s Disney movies that, yes. <laughs> that you may remember. Uh yeah, like he was, he did voices for Alice in Wonderland, Jungle, Jungle Book, 101 Dalmatians. He was in all kinds of TV. Um, I feel like there's a certain generation where he would probably be a very recognizable face. Yeah. He's clearly kind of, you know, on the older end here. Uh, he's a, a an avuncular, gregarious guy. Yeah. You wanted to, someone to play a retired comedic actor from the 50s and 60s. He's exactly your man. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking through his, his, uh, his things now. Just, so many mm-hmm. so many he plays a colonel very often <laughs> i guess he was in mod he was a recurring character in mod anyway uh here he is indeed yeah this kind of uh you know come in youngins keep me entertained in my right. in my old <laughs> age so they want to talk to him about Tracy. He clearly doesn't know that Tracy's dead from the beginning yeah. of this conversation. Um, wants to know if they, oh, they're friends of Tracy's. Have you seen her? I haven't seen her in a month. He says something like, people judge the May-September romance. What is yeah, that phrase? May-December. Yeah. Um, May-December. Yeah, May-December romance. Yeah. yeah. So he's like, people judge the May-December romance, but, uh, you know, it's something that worked for both of us or someone like that. I know what she's doing. She's just getting me to miss her. I really would like to see her. Whatever she wants, she can have it. Just you know, tell her I miss her. And this is when Jim kind of tries to gently yeah, uh, say, like, well, Tracy won't be coming back. Um, and he's like, well, why not? And Jim's kind of beating around the bush. And then Albeck just comes straight up with, she's dead. Yeah. As the unemotional one, he, he sees where he, you know, has this role to play. Poor Billy Baines breaks down in tears. He can't believe it. It can't be true. 
Um, and we've also learned through here that Phil is like his driver and lives on yeah. the premises and is kind of his like, you know, assistant or whatever his caretaker. So it's like, and it, you know, and Phil did it. He's like, no, that's not possible. Jim goes to the phone. I'm going to need to call the police. And Phil appears with a gun. This is how it's going to go down. He wants the, he wants cash from the old man to get out of the country. All back of all people tries to talk him down. You're under extreme stress. And that's when mistakes are made. <laughs> and I kind of thought this was going to, there, there's a certain strain of drama where it's like, now our, uh, this guy who we've hated this whole right. episode is going to be the one to, to bring this to a, to a close. He's, he has the skills that we need. Right. And he has that line, but that's not actually what ends up solving no. the situation. <laughs> <laughs> it almost escalates it, yeah. right? Like, it, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no no outs for this guy. Phil knows that there's there's cash squirreled away all over the house. <laughs> you know, where's the cash, old man? He's like, there's some in that box. Like, this is only a couple hundred. Where's where's more? There's some in the desk. You get it for me. So Albuck saying. I'm working on a government grant and anything that happens to me right. could be prosecuted as a federal crime. That's when Billy turns around from the desk with his own gun and takes a shot. It legitimately surprised me. I wasn't expecting that. That was good. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, it's so good. Um, it doesn't hit anything, but it does send Phil diving. Jim jumps on him. There's a brief scuffle. They run outside. And there's a moment where I thought he was going to go run and get in the yeah. Trans Am. And I was yeah. like, yes. But no, Jim gives him the, the good old football tackle on the lawn, gives him his own punch across the jaw. And uh, presumably justice is served. I would have loved to have seen a chase, but th this episode isn't lacking. So right. it's fine. <laughs> we have our final. Yes. Uh, our <laughs> final scene here with Jim and Dennis still bandaged enjoying more of rocky's fine cooking he just wants them to eat no jumping around no telephones <laughs> uh they compliment rocky on his cooking hey, what'd you put in the sauce a little dill oh a little of this a little of that it really is great rocky <laughs> <laughs> nobody asks him what the other stuff is and it clearly agitates. He really wants them to 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 ask what his secret ingredient is. Mm -hmm. He really wants to let them know. Dennis says, "Can you believe that uh, Albach asked the police if he could get a multivarious personality test on Phil?" <laughs> Dennis lays out, you know, the the background. Uh, he wanted Tracy to help him bilk the old man. She didn't want to go along with it. He roughed her up, and it went too far. He's pleading accidental homicide, but they have him on like murder one or mm -hmm. they're, they're going with murder one. Rocky doesn't want to hear all this yeah. <laughs> stressful uh, uh, business. He, and yeah, he keeps talking about his sauce. I think he's like, yeah, you're right. There was dill. <laughs> <laughs> There's a knock at the door. It's Albach. He takes Rocky's chair and Jim's like, hey, we're trying to eat dinner here. Um, but he's like, I don't think the experiment needs to be a total loss. I just want to ask you some true false questions. And he you know, asks the question and Jim says, I have a I have a true false question for you. Uh, true or false? I like my front teeth. <laughs> and we freeze frame on Jim and Dennis as they glare daggers at, uh, at Dr. Albach interrupting their dinner. That's uh, great. End of episode. It was good. Yeah, so the the dinner bit at the end, echoing the two other dinner bits earlier, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> this Rocky, I mean, he does reveal that he used clarified butter. That's the secret ingredient. But it's, it's 
and it's just so well done how <laughs> like nobody's asking exactly the right question of him and he's very he's been trying all episode to show off that tartar sauce, right? Like right. that that goes all the way back to the first time he's serving the meal to Jim. He wants to be like, look what I did with the tartar sauce. Mm-hmm. And uh it's so great. I just love it. <laughs> Makes me kind of want some tartar sauce, to be honest. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> it reminds me, I mean, honestly, this takes me back to earlier uh, episodes that we did. Like, think back five years ago, or <laughs> whenever we started uh-huh. this. Um, and just like, we talked about how well-crafted a lot of this was. Yeah. And I really like the writing in this and how um, they took their time to think, like, okay, we're going to need Rocky in this scene to do these things. But also... Let's give Rocky a thing. Let's just give him right. something to do. And this is what it is. It's this meal. It's this he wants to show off his tartar sauce to, <laughs> to Jim. And and he's spending the whole episode trying to and it um we get that like at several moments throughout the episode with different characters. Even just the little stuff about uh Dennis's nose, which is there for a reason. Like they have to explain it because the actor had to wear this these bandages. It's just kind of great. It's just like <laughs> a yeah, no, sometimes people break their nose and you you walk around with a bandage for a bit. Yeah, it's a it's a very constructed episode. Like yeah. uh, all the yeah, all the motifs as you say, the various um foreshadowing bits to explain the reveal you know it's all paced pretty well mm-hmm. um you get the good uh jim has a foil like dr albach is a yeah. good foil for jim in a way where we don't see too often where it's just like the total that the real chilly yeah, yeah. unemotional guy again unlike our last episode this is a unlikable guy who does not have a redemption arc i yes. think we we dislike <laughs> him just as much as at the end as we did at on our first meeting of him. It's fun that his, his villainy is not sinister, right? Or I mean, no, I take that back. That's not what I mean, but like, uh, he's kind of of the, (laughs) I think about this in Star Trek a lot, how like every like scientist main character in Star Trek is like an obsessive, right? That's what creates the drama. They're so obsessed with their work that they'll, they're willing to do anything. He's kind of in the obsessive doctor or the obsessive scientist mode, but he's, he's chillily. If that's a word obsessive, he's not emotionally involved. Yeah. He's just, he's going to keep going. And, but the, I I think the thing about it that I like is that he's not conning Rockford to steal money from him. He's not like, (laughs) it's not personal. yeah, he's paying Rockford. He's not, you know, you know what I mean? It's not the usual reasons why Rockford might be. He's not setting him up, mm-hmm. which is what I spent most of the episode waiting for. Not most, sorry. I spent the early parts of the episode waiting for him to be set up to take the fall for something. And that just isn't the case. Like, uh, like, like every great heel, it makes sense to him, right? Yeah. What yeah, he's doing exactly. makes sense <laughs> to him. Um, he's justified. He's justified. Uh, it's just that what he's, what he thinks is justified is horribly unethical. (laughs) Yeah. And we get, and we get glimpses of that, like in some ways played communically, like when he's like, we, a murder nullifies this entire study, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's what he's worried about is not that somebody has been killed, but that, that it would affect his work or at, at the end, the closest we see to him being excited is when he shows up in Rockford's trailer. It's like, I have a way to save the study. Right, right, yeah. 
That's like the most emotion we see of the whole thing. Yeah. And and sh- everyone should be on board for this. I'm going to like everything should stop and let's save this study real quick. I think it's interesting that it's not even that it's not because of him that Tracy gets killed. Right. Yeah. In a subtle way, this is a really good example. <laughs> this is like we used to talk about of, of a story where you have multiple stakeholders with different agendas and they just happen to intersect and yeah. and Jim's caught in the middle. It's a Venn diagram story and like right. Jim's in the center overlap, but the two stories actually don't have anything to do with each other other than Tracy and Jim. Yeah. Yeah, this his his obsessions only bring Jim into Tracy's orbit or Tracy into Jim's orbit and right. that's it. Like there's no Nothing about what he's doing puts her in danger or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's not wrong that he has nothing to do with her death. He actually really doesn't. Yeah, yeah. If anything, he, because of his scheme, is the only reason that anyone is there to pursue justice for her. Yeah, to pursue justice for her, Uh, which is not to excuse him, of course, but it's like... that That's the drama, right? That that creates the the actual story that, that we have to tell here. Um... And that's kind of a low key, like low key good writing. Like I didn't really even think of that until like going through it again. Um, There's a whole other version of this episode where it's the uh, Billy Baines story. Yeah. And then it intersects with this weird doctor for some reason. Right. Like (laughs) this entire narrative could be told from that angle. And, you know, maybe Jim would have to be involved differently. But uh the lived in world, right? Like all these things are going simultaneously and we're just seeing the intersection yeah. through our, you know, our, our interest in Jim. In my notes, when, when we come across Billy Baines, I was like, it's a little late in the episode for a new character. I, <laughs> like, for, for like a, a real, a real memorable side character character. Yeah, yeah. It worked. But like, I think it's exactly right. Like there's two big sort of stories happening here. One is the mystery of like, what is this guy hiring Jim for? Right. Like what's going on? And that mystery gets solved. What's, what's the con? What's the scam? Yeah. 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 Uh, that mystery gets solved just after the next mystery takes over, which is who killed this woman. Yeah. Again, they're not related except in that they share two characters. Yeah. Right. Like they don't even share three characters. <laughs> yeah. Cause George is pretty much in her story. Cause that was the realization I think I had going back through it was that her conversation on the phone was not involved with yeah. her job for the doctor. That was yeah. her real life that she was checking it, whatever she was talking to George about something or whatever. Yeah. I, again, I don't remember the details, but it's important that she was having a, well, while I'm waiting for this guy to show up so I can give him my lines, yeah. I'm going to keep work. Yeah, I'm doing to do my, the rest of my life. Yeah. And Jim just happened to hear the right thing to follow up. And he still thinks that that is all still part of what the doctor is doing, but actually it's, it's not, it's a little portal into the the other story. Yes. The truth of the matter. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it's good stuff. I do. So again, going back to kind of what I was saying at the beginning, the kind of narrative tension is, kind of drained out of it for me by knowing what yeah that what the reveal is what the reveal is and knowing that he's you know it's all under false pretenses and the murder is not related i was just going to say that that might be a product of the fact that the murder is not related right like that that uh the mystery that leads up to the big reveal once that's revealed there's nothing 
Yeah. Like, it, it, and th- I don't mean that as a criticism of the the episode. It just that like you solved it. Mm-hmm. Well done. On to the next thing. On to the next. But thing. there's yeah. not like tension there. It's just kind of yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I I don't remember if on my first viewing if I had that feeling of deflation mm-hmm. because I think you're still until the very end. That's when it is clarified pretty much like until the scene with Billy Baines. That's pretty much when it's clarified about just like what everything was. Yeah, I think right. So. Yeah, there's still a little bit of question or just a little bit of like, so what is going on? Um, yeah. I mean, I guess like most stories, if you know the ending, it's not as doesn't have as much tension. But so many of these episodes, we kind of remember them. And then it still has that. I don't know other word to say, but it still has that tension. And this one, it kind of deflates a little bit for me. And I'm like, OK, let's just let's see what the actual script is from here on out, because I don't right. remember the <laughs> lines that they say. So in that way, I kind of it feels a little flat to me compared to some of the other episodes we've done recently uh, as an overall piece. But again, there's these individual moments that are like all timers. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just really, really good. Uh, If we did a Malibu. Yeah. uh, We did a Malibu madness on like Jim and Rocky, their whole thing. Yeah. That might like the talking about the fish. Yeah. This fish meal would be definitely. Yeah, I agree. So, you know, like all of these, hard to hard to hard to rank. It's hard to do the power rankings, right? Right. <laughs> uh, it depends on what you're talking about. But I was a little surprised at how I, I came out of it feeling like, okay, like I I probably like some of the other ones we've done recently more than this one, mm-hmm. but not for any particular reason. It's just the whole holistic thing right. was a little flatter for me. And again, maybe just because I already knew how it was gonna go. You didn't see a Firebird V Trans Am. <sighs> Real missed <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> opportunity the 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 angle looking down on it i had a firebird matchbox car (laughs) and i like i there's just something about that the angle where you just see the the whole Mm -hmm. from the top down just felt like owning that matchbox car again it just felt really i don't know i enjoyed it that's what i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) that was good it was good all right well we have made our way through this deadly maze um yeah, and I guess we're just going to keep on with the Waterverse. We finished the Bartlett collabs, so yeah. now we'll we'll move on to the remaining episodes and their their writers. See if see if they have any other feeling to them. I guess. Um, yeah, we'll see. What we got like five? I think so. I think we have five. I'd have to look it up. Something like that. Something like that. We'll get through it. Yeah. So you know, if you have any thoughts about uh uh. The Waterverse, as we've been going through these, <laughs> uh, by the time this one comes out, I think our there will have been a little time to see it. Uh, any responses to our call for for info on this guy? So, oh yeah, yeah. If there are any, if anyone does have any insight or any res- any anything to point us to, maybe we'll we'll do that in our next episode. But um, but yeah, we're just gonna keep on keeping on. It's the summer of Ward, is what it is. It's the summer of Ward, yes. Hot Ward Summer. <laughs> it's Hot Ward Summer. All right. Well, we will be back next time in another 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 sweaty Summer Ward episode. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, we will be back next time with another episode of The Rockford Files. Pina Colada.